Welcome everyone to Popcorn Peeps episode 11, the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. In this episode 11, we will be talking about Memento, a psychological thriller that came out in the year 2000, written and directed by Christopher Nolan. The film stars Guy Pearce, Carrie Ann Moss, and Joe Plantoliano. The film was nominated for two Oscars, including Best Original Screenplay and Best Film Ending. I am joined today by the wonderful Craig Moore. Hey everybody. The ever so suave Chris McMullen. Good evening. And the spectacular Sarah Alexander. Do I know you? Sometimes. <laughs> Who are mm. you people? Depends what you've got written down on your chest, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Do not trust Jordan oh. Costa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't believe his lies. <laughs> So to start, what do you guys think of the non-linear storytelling and the way the film switches back and forth between the colored and black and white segments? Loved it. It was great. At first, confusing as all hell. However, that is a good thing in this film. So the main character is confused every minute of his life and... So are we, which meant it was a great storytelling device. Yeah, it really puts you in Leonard's head. I thought Nolan did a great job because when you're confused, it's by design. It's to disorientate you because the main character is disorientated. And I thought that was really cool. And it really did take only maybe a couple minutes from the beginning of the film for you to go, ah, okay, I get what's happening now, which was perfect. Yes, I agree. I would be interested in seeing this film cut together in a chronological path, although I don't think it would be nearly as good. I would be interested to see it. I think it's a feature on the DVD. No, I really like the approach. I think it felt novel. It's not something you see all the time, and it's not necessarily something I would want to see all the time, but it was really interesting because it was diverse and it did some cool things with that structure. I like how it let you experience the film just knowing what the main character knew. So all of these context clues outside of his kind of field of conscious, was you were totally blind to. So it let you experience things when he did. So you saw a character and you're like, oh my gosh, who is this? And he goes, what? Who the heck is this? And so you're totally on the same page the whole time. Which is weird and unique, but it's fun. It's different. Like, how did this guy get his Jaguar? Where did the rules come from? Where did he meet his partners in crime? It changes the question from what is going to happen to how did this happen? And that's clever. I think sometimes it can be gimmicky when people try and play with time and narrative like that. But I thought in this movie, it was done so well. And just to put you on that journey with the character, I really enjoyed it. I agree. I think it was a massive risk that paid off huge huge dividends but could have gone poorly it didn't though holy crap was it ever really well done christopher nolan might be my favorite director i didn't even realize that like all of the films i really like like inception interstellar dark knight like they're all nolan and i thought this was fantastic and just tenant okay don't talk about tenant tenant <laughs> is a black sheep in the family tenant yeah i liked it too it was awesome you just didn't understand it so let's move right on to the characters. What did you guys think of our lead, Leonard? I thought Leonard was really good. I liked his character. The actor did a very good job of playing a character who never knew who anybody was or what the hell was going on around him. He was very believable in the way that he, I mean, he was telling a lot of a lot of things that weren't necessarily true, but they were true to him. So we all believed them. And he did a very <laughs> good job of convincing me. Yeah, he was that perfect film noir detective. The only thing he was missing was uh, yeah, the no, big cigarette cool. with a long puff of smoke coming off of it he was <laughs> calm cool and his demeanor was just uh, cool as a cucumber which was interesting because i love those old detective movies i like that vibe and which is why i think this is described as sometimes as a neo-noir film in addition to being a psychological thriller I thought he did a great job and I felt bad for him for the first half. I'm like, oh my gosh, all these people are taking advantage of him and he's just out to try and find his wife's murderer and then he's able to take you on that journey. I thought he did a great job. 
And the tattoos are super cool. Mm -hmm. That's such a neat touch. That's what takes the whole idea from a cool concept to something really involved because then he's committing his whole life. He's branded by this experience and there's no way out. He's, he's committed. I feel like that ups the ante a lot and really, really invests you in this character. He's all in. Oh, yeah. No, I like him a lot. But yeah, just his not having a clue. I loved the Sammy. Like Sammy was a good character too. I think it's cool because the way that Leonard views Sammy builds his character in a particular way. And I think that pays off at the end when you realize just how self-interested Leonard himself is. Because when he's going through the Sammy case, it doesn't really seem like he can empathize or sympathize. He's just out to do a job. He's on a mission. He doesn't really care what happens along the way. He's just there to check boxes. And that paints him as someone who's self-interested and then <laughs> that really comes to fruition when you see the end of the film and oh he's lo looking out for number one at the very beginning i don't know if you recall this and if you've seen the movie a couple of times you probably do but he was painting himself specifically as not sammy sammy and i have something in common however unlike sammy i do this sammy did that and it didn't work out i do it this way instead and you can see the more and more time goes on the more he is trying to convince himself that he he is acting as not Sammy, but unfortunately, he's letting himself get caught up in the same traps that, that Sammy did. His poor note-taking, letting himself get confused by he's not following his system all the time. Speaking of his system, one of my favorite parts of the whole film was when Teddy bullies him into writing on Natalie's picture that she can't be trusted, but he writes it in a cursive that he knows isn't his own, so he knows once his memory resets to scratch it off. I thought that was a cool detail. Really well done. Oh, excellent. I didn't even catch that good job when i saw that uh, my wife actually pointed it out and i was thinking is this just a false memory and this is someone else writing on the back of it but either way it has the same effect yeah, for sure. The whole Polaroids and keeping notes and whatnot is super mm -hmm. cool because the whole driving force, once you get maybe 30 minutes into the movie is, why can't Teddy be trusted? And so that's unraveling kind of the roots of his system, where this comes from, where he gets his information from is really what becomes the most interesting part. I don't even think I was really interested in Leonard finding his killer. I was more interested in learning about how Leonard built his existing relationships with the other characters in the story, with Teddy, with Natalie. Yeah, I love how, as you go back in time the relationships morph so much oh for sure oh, yeah that was that was absolutely brilliant <laughs> there, there are no good people which is really cool because you trying to place who's a good guy who's a bad guy and in the end it doesn't matter because everyone's a bad guy thinking i was like oh he probably shouldn't trust this natalie what do we know about her and then it goes back in time and we're shown like oh you can't trust her and you're like oh shit like they're taking advantage of him and teddy's taking advantage of him and yeah but then he's also taking advantage of himself like oh it was a wild ride <laughs> you spend the entire movie trying to figure out who can be trusted, and it turns out the answer is no one. No, everyone's bad. <laughs> yeah. Which is cool. So let's talk a little bit about Teddy. My relationship with Teddy was a total roller coaster. I was like, Teddy's the only guy we can trust. And then another scene goes by, and I'm like, Teddy cannot be trusted. And then we go back a little bit, and I'm like, maybe we can trust Teddy. Maybe, maybe Teddy knows what's up. And uh, that was so <laughs> much fun. At the end of the day, another self-interested asshole just there to line his pockets. I felt the same way. <laughs> I, it, it was very much for me like that, the meme, the uh, the close the gate, open the gate. Okay, close the gate a little. <laughs> His mustache looked a little suspicious. I feel like a troublemaker might grow a mustache like that. I don't know, but I think the, the thing about Teddy was he was a good guy at the beginning. He was in it just to help Leonard, right? I mean, do we know that though? 
I don't know if we know that. We know that he did help Leonard. Maybe you get in and then you get in too deep and then you realize you have a valuable asset that you can use to solve a bunch of your other problems, whether or not there's a guy you don't want there, whether or not there's a hundred grand that you need stuck in your bank account. Uh, Yeah, I would say it was just my interpretation of it. The first time he helped him, it was totally to help him. Like, you know, he talks about how, like, he thought for sure it would give him some peace. And he's got that picture of him with the big... That's a good point. It it doesn't even look like Leonard with the big smile on his face pointing at his, uh, the spot on his chest where he's going to write, I found her, or found him. It just goes away. And maybe he might have done it maybe another time to see if it could give him the the satisfaction of no. Like, maybe he can, if he does it enough times, he's going to feel like he has actually built up that memory, right? Yeah, I agree with you, Chris. It certainly seems like at least the first time he was doing it genuinely to try and help Leonard catch his wife's killer under the idea that if this guy can do it, it'll fix his brain and and the trauma will be gone and he'll be able to remember it and move on and it didn't work. And then, you know, maybe you try we'll try again and we'll just get some low life, you know, guy and, and we'll kill him and whatever. But eventually he started seeing it like, well, you know, once you get 12 bodies deep, I might just while trying to make a couple bucks off it. I need to get rid of a guy. You look at the photo of Leonard after he gets his first kill and he looks genuinely pleased and he's excited. But then you get to see at the end of the film him get his ex kill and he doesn't feel anything from it. That does make me feel like maybe there was a sense of innocence and a sense of justice once upon a time, but kill after kill after kill that's faded into nothingness. And that's what you see at the end of the film. Yeah, it's a deeply nihilistic movie interesting because every single kill seemed to me like it was his first he reacted so horrified with himself every time that i would genuinely Mm -hmm. i would think this guy's never killed anyone before and then you find out he's killed dozens of people it might just be too because obviously teddy was there for the first one and able to take a photo so he's probably hyping him up like yeah you got it but all the ones we've seen he's just doing it on his own so he didn't have a hype man yeah he's hyping him up like we're getting drinks at tardy's tonight we did it woo (laughs) Yeah, get that tattoo. Gosh, I winced when he tattooed himself. Uh, I don't know. I had to look away. I was a little bit of a baby, but you guys all knew that was coming. Of course he did. It bothers me less if there's a professional involved, but when he's in the hotel room just jabbing himself with a needle, I'm like, no, (laughs) you're going to get hepatitis. Stick and poke. Have you never got a tattoo not in a tattoo shop? No, I only have two tattoos. No, uh, because none of us have been to prison. <laughs> that was good. All right. Yes. How about Natalie? What do you guys think? Oh, Natalie was incredible. Oh my god. She had me as convinced as she had Leonard. She was a treat. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know that scene in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets when Tom Riddle releases the basilisk and everyone's like, "Oh my god, that's only the, <laughs> the second biggest snake in film history, right behind Natalie." This <laughs> bitch. <laughs> My God, you have me fooled. I was rooting yes. for you. Yeah. When she started taking all the pens, I was like, oh, what the heck is she doing? She's up to something. And then I oh. knew she was up to trouble. Yeah. And some of the dialogue when she's ridiculing him is she's baiting him. Like, that scene is so memorable. Oh, she's baiting him. But not only is she baiting him, just the bluntness and the way she presents it. As a viewer, I was like completely taken aghast. Like I was not ready for that. And that was definitely one of the most memorable scenes of the whole film. And she was livid, right? I'm surprised it took him so long to hit her. Yeah, me too. 
The way she was talking, <laughs> I was like, oh, he's going to hit her now. And then nothing happened. But I think that's done intentionally to build anticipation within the audience, yes, to yeah. build up that moment. But he knew what she was doing, right? She said, I'm, I'm going to use you. You're not going to remember any of this. And he was intentionally trying to hold himself back because he knew that she was playing him. But, you know, five minutes later, he completely forgot. That moment when he's like trying to get the pen, trying to get the pen and the car door slams and you can see his brain reset. That was so, so good. Well done. And then she just <laughs> walks back in. That was amazing. I love that character. She is just the spawn of Satan. I'm just a big Carrie Ann Moss simp though. I'm a huge Matrix fan. Matrix. <laughs> Trinity. I, I was already a big fan and then this happened and I'm an even bigger fan. Her boyfriend was just murdered, right? Like, like yeah, she was a she was a snake and she totally abused this guy who, who had a mental disorder, but she just found out her boyfriend was murdered and he probably had something to do with it. So, you know, everybody here, everybody in this story is, is a horrible antagonist to everyone else and themselves, but everyone also has their own level of motivation that you can relate to. If someone who, you know, couldn't remember what they did killed my wife and then came and told me like, hey, you know, just showed up at my house, I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me right now? I'd probably lose it too. Yeah, she didn't bat an eye really when he pulled up in the Jaguar. She's like, oh, Jimmy. And then she realized and she didn't let anything slide. There was like a flicker. She was just like, oh, something's bad. Yeah, she was back yeah. on it. Just all good characters. Who was the guy in the hotel? Yeah, I can't remember his name. That whole little exchange with trying to trick the guy with amnesia to rent two or three yeah. rooms. <laughs> that might even be a little bit of foreshadowing, just the director telling you everybody in this world's an asshole. I don't think there are any other real major characters. I think those were the big three. What about Dodd? What do you need to say about Dodd? <laughs> you know what? Dodd was, Dodd was a cool character, actually. I recognize him. He's from a lot of Canadian stuff. And he is a Cylon. Like in the movie? <gasps> oh, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Yes, in Memento. <laughs> in, in Memento, he... he Dot does give us one of my favorite moments of the film, though, when he flashes back to reality and he goes, why am I running? Oh, I'm chasing this guy. And yeah. then Dot shoots him and he goes, oh, no, he's was, chasing no, no, no. me. And he just turns just around and runs me. the other way. That was really well done. Yeah. And there wasn't a lot of like quick witty things like that. So when you did get hit by one, it, it felt pretty good. Mm -hmm. I did like when he got pulled over and Dodd said like nice car or something like that. Got him into the parking lot to us. We're thinking like, why does he want his car? We imagine because what's her name? Natalie told him about the car and that he wants to take it as payment for whatever money she was missing because that's what she said. But, you know, we later find out this isn't even fucking his <laughs> car. Good taste though. Nice jam. <laughs> Jaguar. I mean, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of 90s automotive styling, but pretty hard to go wrong with the Jaguar. All right, so what do you guys think of the ending? Turns out none of the characters are here for any sense of justice. These are some self-interested mofos, crooks looking out for themselves. And the ending did make me upset when I watched it the first time. I thought, I can't even believe this is the direction it went. But the more I sat on it, the more I realized how clever it really was. I'm sold. This ending was great. Yeah, it was a sick ending. So I have two just quick public service announcements. First of all, if a loved one has a mental disorder, okay, you can't abuse them into getting better. That's number one. That's where you might be wrong. Number kiddo. two, 
that won't work. <laughs> Number two, if you have a loved one who's diabetic, <laughs> don't inject insulin into their arteries, okay? Insulin goes into fat or muscles, not the circulatory system. These are important distinctions. Artery schmartery. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna believe memento. No, I thought it was a super cool ending how it did pull everything back together. And I thought when he was taking the Polaroid of Jimmy and it was still black and white and that shaking it is what brought color back to this timeline now. I thought that was really sick. Do we know who was on the phone? Yeah, I thought it was Teddy. I think it's Teddy. I thought it was Teddy. Yeah, pretty sure yeah. I think Teddy. it's Teddy. I don't know if we know that for sure. I think it's inferred that it's Teddy, but I don't think there's any like concrete proof. I guess because he had some of the pictures and stuff, but I'm not 100% convinced it was Teddy. Well, that's how Teddy contacted Leonard in the first place. It was through the phone and he had the Polaroids and he slid them under the door and that, that instigated some of that conversation. So as far as the ending itself goes, the fact that it's revealed that Leonard already got his wife's killer many years ago and in fact he's killed multiple people to try and reset that part of his brain that can't remember things and get rid of that trauma and that it's not working. So he's since sabotaged himself by crossing out things on it or burning pictures that he had, removing sections of his file book to now suit a new investigation so he can go find a new person to kill because maybe this time it will work it was was absolutely mind-blowing. I don't even necessarily know if he was looking for it to work. I think he was just almost looking to give himself a purpose. I think so too. Because otherwise he's going to wind up like Sammy did in the mental hospital, like nothing to do with his life. And how about that incredible flash, that like split second scene flash in the home, the care facility. You see Sammy sitting there and then someone walks in front of the camera and it's Leonard for a split (laughs) second. That was so cool. Is Sammy Jenkins and Leonard the same person? I think so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's Sammy. Because there's a couple things that points to it. So the thing you just mentioned, Craig, in the medical facility, doesn't Jimmy also call Leonard Sammy when he sees him and he's laying on his back? Because he says, Leonard says, how do you know Sammy? I thought that was just because he had obviously met Leonard and heard the Sammy story because he seems to tell it. Yeah, he was just giving a piece of information. I don't think they're the same person. He was a con man who got caught. But then he used the story to and sort of mixed it with his own story of uh, him killing his wife. And that that's the other piece is he was the killer of his wife or she killed herself, right? But I thought that he uh, kind of created Sammy to take the blame and the guilt and he could put it onto this character that is not me, but it, it is actually him. That's how I understood yeah, it. Yeah, and he kind of edited his life to remove that aspect to create this whole new world. Like, I don't know if Sammy was a real character that he interacted with in insurance and then was just able to also build in this narrative onto it. I think it's that. So the original remember was to remember this con man, but then he morphed it into giving himself like an example of what not to be like. I think uh, you could weave a narrative where Sammy and Leonard are the same person and Leonard essentially escapes from that facility that you see Sammy in at the very end and that's when he takes off and that's when he starts killing and gets in touch with Teddy. All of these damaged fragments in his mind, he's either mixing them up in the wrong place or he's specifically doing that to 
build himself an alibi or a reason or a purpose or whatever. Because even when he calls the escort and he has just a couple items to put around the room and he has her reenact how he thought his wife died, to me that was just him conditioning himself like this is how it happened, this is how it happened versus him injecting her too much and killing her himself. He's trying to really condition himself to think that I'm not Sammy, I'm here trying to find my wife's murderer. Some of my favorite films are the films that say, you figure it out. Here's a couple clues. We're not going to tell you one way or the other. Pan's Labyrinth? No, no, no. Here's the thing, though. Pan's Labyrinth did that through inconsistent storytelling, whereas this gives you a set of very viable conclusions, and you can logically deduce any single one of them. And enough breadcrumbs to get yourself in any given direction, rather than just drop you in the (laughs) middle of a forest and say, you find your own way. I thought it was really cool. And I liked the main message of the film, or at least what I drew as the message, that truth is subjective and each of our perceptions of truth is based on the information we've collected throughout our lifetimes and despite how sure we may be we can't say anything is certain confirmation bias is also weaved into this in which we're likely to build our own perceptions of truth based on what already exists in our reservoir of knowledge the film is challenging our understanding of what we believe to be subjective versus objective through leonard and the way he's experienced things and the way his memories are shattered i thought it was really cool i thought it was so clever And how he's choosing what is important. Yeah, I agree. So I would be interested to learn from somebody who's studied people with damage to their hypothalamus. Hypothalamus? Is that what codes memories? A hippopotamus? Hippocampus? Hippocampus. (laughs) I would be interested to learn if people actually are able to form almost like instinctive conditioned memories by that sort of testing they were doing. I think I read that it is. It is a real test that they do in the trivia section. Oh, that's cool. So what are some of your favorite moments of the film we haven't talked about yet? Could be favorite lines, or if you have some critiques of the film, we've been pretty positive so far. If you have anything you don't like, let's talk about it. There actually was a point, I would say, probably about the 45, 50 minute mark where I kind of actually started getting bored with the storytelling because it was hard to follow. And then maybe 10 minutes later, it picked back up. But there was definitely a lull about halfway through for me. Yes, it's when Dodd is in the closet and you're not progressing towards the main objective you're kind of doing side quests and then it quickly gets back on the right track because natalie's big moment comes up and from that point in Mm -hmm. you're just on the roller coaster it's almost like it's needed though it gave my brain a five second (laughs) break of like trying to follow solve the mystery it's like all right daydream for a second i need to reboot here (laughs) i'm just picturing you and as the guy from the hangover where all of the algebra is flying around the screen you're trying to watch this What was your question, Sarah? How does he remember that he has this condition if he only remembers up until the incident? I think that might have been originally what the Remember Sammy Jenkins was for. Ah. Uh, That's true. That's a good point. Okay. When he wakes up every morning and goes, what the hell's going on? And he sees that, I think it was on his left hand, Remember yeah. Sammy Jenkins. And, and then he can oh, look shit, at yeah. it and go, okay, okay fuck, that I guess that's sense. what's wrong with mm-hmm. me. It's not a big moment, but one of the moments I really liked was when he's sitting in the bathroom about to assault Dodd and he looks at the bottle and goes, oh, I don't feel drunk. And then he hears like stumbling outside and he goes, oh, that's what this is for. This is a melee weapon. 
I think the closest I could relate to this is when I walk into the basement with an objective and then immediately forget what it is when I get in there and then walk back up the stairs confused. Yeah, it's called threshold <laughs> syndrome or something like that. I thought it was supposed to happen to you when you got older, but looks like I'm in trouble. No, it happens to everybody. How about you, Sarah? Any particular moments that you really liked or didn't like? I don't think I have anything that I didn't like. I really, really enjoyed it. And then everything I did like, we've already discussed. Yeah, the whole movie was really good. God, was it ever <laughs> confusing to watch. But I, I don't think I've ever watched a movie that I had so much trouble following, but was on the edge of my seat for so much of it. I actually don't think it was really that confusing because if you don't understand a situation, I think it's because you're not supposed to and you just have to accept that and then wait for the next breadcrumb. Yeah, but that's every that's every 10 minutes of this movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why it's so much fun because, oh, breadcrumb, 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 and you just follow in the trail all the way to the end. I think the weakest part of this movie is actually the music. So David Julian composed this film score. It was inspired by Blade Runner and The Thin Red Line, and Julian states that the film score was designed to inspire a sense of yearning and loss, which I think it does well. However, I went back and I listened to the soundtrack all on its own, and there's not a single track on here that you can take out of the context of the movie and enjoy it. It's a lot of industrial synth noise that doesn't have a particular melody. It just almost feels like it's there to fill empty space and just be ambient noise. And it pushes the film's tone. Like, it does sound kind of, like, jarring and weird, but it doesn't really go above and beyond. There's not, like, an anthem or a single track that you would really remember from this film. If I had to like pull one out, it would be All is Full of Love, but even that track is quite forgettable. It just sounded cool. Yeah, it does cool, but it doesn't have a lot of substance. It feels a little bit hollow. I couldn't tell you a single thing about the soundtrack. You know what they got to do? They got to get Taylor Swift's blank space in there. (laughs) That's clever. Totally lost on me. I'm sorry. (laughs) I have a couple quotes that I want to talk about first. Probably one of the best quotes in the movie is Teddy talking to Leonard, and he says, you're not a killer. That's why you're so good at it. That's good. I really like that one a lot. And then there's a couple for Leonard. How am I supposed to heal if I can't feel time? That's a really good one. I did enjoy that. I didn't take many notes when I was watching this, but that was one of the ones I did jot down. Yeah, I didn't. This is not the. I didn't take as many notes as I did because it's really a visceral film. You're in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's no time for note taking. You have to pay attention 100% of the time. I actually put closed captions on so I could make sure I didn't miss oh, any cool. any of the dialogue at all. This is a film I would like to watch again, like immediately after watching it once. So then you can see all the little nuances that you didn't notice the first time. Because most films you want to wait till you forget. But like the whole point is yes. I want to remember everything so I can analyze it as I go. I've seen it at least three times now and it does not lose anything in the rewatching. Now that you know the plot, you know the twists, you can focus in on what are the hints that he was giving me all along. I got one more. It's a good ender, I think. We all need mirrors to remember who we are. I don't know if I agree with that. That just seems kind of like edgy for the sake of edgy. You're so vain. You probably think this movie's about you. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I like it because without something reflected back at you, you don't know who you are, right? You know what you think. But you, without it, something coming back to you, so not necessarily a literal mirror, but a someone showing what you look like back to you. Yeah, is that like the idea of you don't really know which of your ideas are good ideas until you get to bounce them off of somebody else and get a second opinion and a critique? Because until you do that, you can just pick some of them just all sound want. good, and you need that. You need to reflect with somebody else to realize what is good and what isn't good. So then at the end, was Teddy kind of that mirror when he was telling him, like, no, this is what you're actually like. And then Leonard didn't like it. So he changed that whole narrative. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, smash the mirror. 
Is it 10 years bad luck, seven years? You know, this guy's had probably decades of bad luck at this point. So, you know, what's another seven (laughs) for a penny and for a pound? I mean, he'll get away with this for a little while. But I mean, I can't imagine the cycle is going to continue that much longer before the FBI gets in on this. And they realize that there's 100 dead John G's and it's just a serial (laughs) killer on the loose and he's behind bars. Without Teddy watching out for him, I don't think he's going to get much further at all. Yeah, I don't think so. The only reason he was on the loose as long as he was was because Teddy was helping him get away with murder, literally. Yeah, killing Teddy is his way of stopping the cycle, I think. Yeah, well, Leonard is the sword and Teddy is the swordsman, Mm -hmm. basically. He's not going to get much done on his own. He's a complete mess. But he thinks he's perfectly organized and has everything under control. He's not Sammy. And that's his biggest flaw. And without Teddy to point him in the right direction, he's just going to be cutting everything around him. It's interesting because even as much as he might try for introspection, he actually can't see himself. He has no idea who he is because every time he tries to do it and every time he comes close to the truth, he sabotages the truth because he doesn't like it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. No, he's just blind vengeance. That's all he is. There's no morality. Yeah, I did like the nihilistic bent of this too. Yeah, absolutely. I would argue that that is not the takeaway. There's no point to anything. Kill, kill, kill. (laughs) I think that is the takeaway if you are severely brain damaged and you are already Uh, a serial killer. (laughs) So what do you think the takeaway is, Jordan? You need to remove the line between objective and subjective. Realize that objective truth is subjective and your perceptions are based on your experiences and your reality. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that's genuine truth. That's just truth to you. So like William S. Burroughs, nothing is true. Everything is permitted. Isn't that just from Assassin's Creed? What are you talking about? What the hell is Assassin's Creed? William S. Burroughs, beat poet from the 50s. You can't (laughs) trick me. I know you know what Assassin's Creed is. It's one of the (laughs) largest video game franchises in like the last... Ah, it doesn't matter. You know what? Let's rank this bad boy. I would like to take a momento to place memento at spot numero uno. (laughs) It is the best. This film is a little bit edgy and the brilliance of Nolan's storytelling and storytelling structure along with all of these fantastically terrible characters makes this a film I will not soon forget. You know what? I think you're right. I'm looking at my list and trying to see where it fits and like you just is it better than this one is better than this one and it did it goes up to the top dr shivago dethroned yep wow i'm having a really hard time with this one so sarah i'm gonna let you go first 30 seconds is gonna change your mind maybe i'm gonna put this as my number one this was a great experience as a viewer to watch and feel like you're part of this and that's something no movie has done yet it was great sarah and jordan agree for the first time in their lives (laughs) i'm having a really hard time here because i think this movie deserves to be given the respect that you have all given it what do you think it contends with the only movie on my list that i think really blew me away and had me as interested and felt as expansive and beautiful as this movie did was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Close Encounters is a great traditional film, but this is a piece of art. Close Encounters is a piece of art that by which so much other sci-fi is stood up next to. Close Encounters is trash. I, <laughs> I, I'm going to get booed. I, I, I'm going to take my headset after this, give you all an opportunity to boo me when we're done. when I'm done saying this. I have to put... Memento at number two. Boo. <laughs> wrong opinion. I respect your wrong opinion. <laughs> That's so <Boo>. funny. 
We all live in the world of objective truth, and Craig is confused with shattered memories of close encounters of the third kind. I so close encounters compared to this, I think it just it had some really incredible visuals, incredible (laughs) audio. The storytelling was not as good. I'm not gonna sit here and tell you know try and lie to you, but there was so much about close encounters that was so landmark, and things are still compared to it today that I don't think that I can let Memento unseat it. You're wrong, but it's fine. Memento was sick. All right, Chris, what are we watching in episode twelve? We are going to watch Braveheart. And where can our audience check that out? It's, a, it's one that probably most people can watch for free. The high def is available on Netflix. Yeah. So if you want to rent it, like if you're some weirdo who doesn't have Netflix, Apple TV, Google Play, Cineplex, Microsoft, YouTube, and Amazon. Before we go, Popcorn Peeps would like to extend a special thank you to our Patreon supporters, Travis Laporte, Jim Wamsley, Frank Costa, and Ryan Saradin. Thank you very much for your support. We really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. All right, folks. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you in episode 12. Have a fantastic day, night, afternoon, or whenever you're listening to this. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Hold on, because it's got to be number one. (laughs) No!